a smile upon my face Cause there's excitement in the chase This I know So we're in a series that we just started last week, How to Restart Life. And that's because all of us have been going through this really awkward phase, 18 months of things not being normal, not being the, the way we uh, got used to them being. And, you know, I really kind of wonder what the kids are going to grow up like uh, coming out of all this. I think that's an interesting uh, study that some psychologists are probably already beginning to work on. But as far as those of us who got ourselves into ruts before 2020, um, we now are in this weird sort of hiatus where all of us are still wondering, is life normal yet? Or when will life be normal again? Or what is the journey? What is the pathway to there? And so I'm not sure where you are on your journey. Maybe nothing ever really changed much for you. Maybe it changed a ton for you, but what we're doing together is we're trying to ask the question, what does it mean for us to get our lives moving on the right track all over again? How to restart our lives? And um, last week, I, I kind of told you that one of our biggest problems is that we blame the wrong things. I mean, we, we're blaming a lot of the wrong things these days. One of the reasons for that is that we all are feeling a kind of a power struggle. We're worried that the wrong people are going to be in charge and they're going to control us too much. We're, we're in this weird kind of place where we're worried that the wrong ideas are going to rise to the top and things that threaten us are going to gain more power and we ourselves are going to be less and less powerful. It's a, it's a fear of powerlessness that we're in. And so last week, I kind of highlighted for you that I thought there were three layers of this struggle that we face. We'll put them up on the screen, but the layers are first, me and the outside world. There's a, there's a power struggle between me and the people around me. Then there's the power struggle of me versus the different versions of me. Like there's a version of me that I imagine, you know, the, the one that's fit and athletic and lives to 180. But that's a different version of me than the one I'm actually living in right now. And so as a result, there's sort of this battle between me and the other versions of me. But then on the inside, on the very deep inside, there's this battle, this power struggle that I have, that all of us have between us and God. And no matter how long you've been walking with God, if it's been a day, if it's been a, a, a decade, or if you haven't even really made that commitment yet, we're all in this struggle with God because God is doing something in our midst that none of us know. He's doing something that a lot of us are sort of kind of concerned by. And so there's this inner struggle that we have between us and what God really wants for our lives. And I told you last week that we were going to start from the inside and work our way out. I'll give you a little illustration. A couple weeks ago, um, I met this guy and uh, I was in a meeting where I was wearing a mask and the other guy that I was talking to wasn't wearing a mask and he began to ask me questions about why I was wearing a mask and, and it was a meeting of a whole bunch of uh, Christian people doing things like pastors and ministry leaders doing some things and we got in this conversation and I'm not going to get into the details of the conversation except to say that he disagreed with my perspective in a number of different ways and the next day wrote me an email that was three pages long um, now, 
I'll take that back. The email was only a paragraph long. He had attached to the email a PDF of a three-page long article that he had written in response to me dated the previous day with all of the Bible verses that indicated why me wearing a mask was part of a satanic plot. Now, I want to let you know, because it's important since we ask people to wear masks here following the CDC recommendations, I want you to know that I disagreed with his um, approach, and I disagreed with his assessment of the Bible, and I disagreed with his assessment of the way the world operates. And so, as a result, I wrote him an email back. And um, the email that I wrote him back, basically what I did is I just went through every one of the Bible passages that he quoted, and I quoted it back to him with its context. And you know me, I'm the kind of guy who's like, okay, here's the verse, what does it say before and after it, and now maybe we can understand what it says. And so I quoted all of the verses back to him with bigger context, and then was like, this is why you're wrong, and this is why you need to stop saying the things that you're saying. And so after 20,000 words I had written were emailed back to him, he wrote me back to say, thank you for taking so much time replying to my email. I will read it when I get a chance. And I'm like, we're done. (laughs) Yay. But you felt that. You've seen one of your friends or, or, or family member post something on Facebook and there was everything inside you or maybe they did it on Twitter or Instagram. I don't know. There was everything inside you that just said, I have to respond with as much force as possible. And so I'm going to use emojis and GIFs and all the different things that I can use to make the other people feel both that they're stupid and that I love them. We've all been there for like 18 months or more even, where it's like this this struggle between me and all the other people around me. And the question I asked you to think about last week was not, why do all the other things have so much power? The question was, why do I feel so powerless? And why do I feel like I have to resort to, to words of violence or quantity or whatever it is to try to overcome this power struggle that we're feeling. The verse that I quoted from you last week comes from Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. This is written by a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul we call him. And you got to remember, Paul was really familiar with the power of God. He was also really familiar with the power of society. He grew up in a very powerful family. He was both a Jew and a Roman citizen. That almost never happened. And that meant his family had historical wealth that gave him the rights to be a Roman citizen, but it also meant that his family had good blood that allowed him to say, I'm part of the Jewish culture, Jewish race, and so much so that he then moved to the best Jewish city in the world, Jerusalem, where he was trained by one of the best Jewish teachers in the world, Gamaliel, and he was part of the best Jewish group in the world, the Pharisees and the high priests in Jerusalem, so that when Jesus' followers came on the scene, Paul had all the power he needed to go attack them, imprison them, and in some cases even kill them. He had a literal license to kill as he was riding on his way to Damascus. And on the road to Damascus, where he was going to try to track down more Christians, a bright light shone around him, and he met Jesus face to face, who said, what you up to, Paul? You're messing with me and my people. 
And Paul was like, um, all right then. Changed his life completely because he encountered directly the power of Jesus in front of him. And so when Paul talks about power, he knows what he's talking about. He knows about all the earthly power that Jesus dominated when Jesus turned his life around. The verse says this, Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says, I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, oh, that's for the next section. I wanted to cut that last verse out because we're going to get to that next week. But at the end of the sentence, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's the part I want you to focus on for today. Because, you see, what Paul is trying to get at is that he wants God's power to be put into you. I want God's power to be put into me. There's just a couple really big problems with that. And the first problem is that if I'm already plugged into something else, then God's power can't get into me, right? I mean, think of yourself like you're a, a computer electronic device or something like that, and you have just called the tech support of the universe, and you're like, God, what do I need to do? And God's first response to you is, you're plugged into the wrong thing and you're shut off. So since God can already tell what's going on in your life, he doesn't have to wait around for you to go through the process of checking to see if the cables are plugged in. He can just tell you, you are plugged into the wrong thing. You need to be plugged into the power of God and not the earthly power struggles that we're in the midst of. And, and so the big idea for us today is I want you to unplug and then plug back in to the right thing. Uh, unplug in this case doesn't mean I want you to just pretend like your life is dead and wait for someone to come and wake you up or whatever. I want you to act like your spirit needs something that it's never had and to open yourself up to God. Because see, here's the truth. All of us are powerless without God. All of us are powerless without God. I know you like to think of yourself, I like to think of myself as a person who's capable of a lot of things. I'm capable of making things, I'm capable of learning things, I'm capable of, of having relationships. I feel like I've got a lot of influence and a lot of power. Maybe because social media has given me that sense of influence and power. Maybe because my relationships have given me that sense of influence and power, at least in that circle. All of us have sort of this delusion of power sometimes. And that's why in those areas where we don't have power, we feel so powerless and we want to struggle with it. But it begins for us. Paul says, I pray that God's glorious riches, out of his riches, he would strengthen you with power, which means you need it. Which means you don't have it. The whole real power struggle for human beings begins with my recognition that in, in relationship to God, first and foremost, I am powerless. This all begins in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Now, I know uh, some people, especially in Purdue's shadow, we've got a lot of scientifically-minded people, and so some people might be saying, listen, I'm, I, don't really, I don't really go in with Genesis too much, and they might disagree with the stories of how God created the world or, or any of those things, and I'm not going to get into the details of that debate today. What I'm going to share with you is I'm going to share with you that the story of Genesis, reaffirmed by Jesus, culminates in the story of these two model human beings, Adam and Eve, 
these two landmark human beings where God did something special to put these two beings in such a position where they could be sort of responsible for caring for the rest of the world. And that his family of human beings would start from Adam and Eve and then spread throughout the whole world. It was part of the creation mandate where he said to Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth and have dominion over it. He gave them the garden to care for it. And the story begins with us, for us today, when we see what God did for Adam. Take a look at this. We'll put it up on the screen. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat from it, you will certainly die. Here's the point. God says, Adam, I'm going to make you be the steward of the entire earth and your descendants. And so I'm going to put you here in this little garden. This is your training area. We're going to start with this garden. You're going to take care of this garden. We're going to learn this thing here. And then over time, over the centuries, your descendants are going to care for the whole earth. So here you are in this garden. And I'm giving you the whole thing. Have freedom. Eat whatever you want from this garden. It's designed especially for you. You're going to think everything is awesome. It is great. Go for it. Oh, one more thing. There's a tree in the middle that will kill you. That's the tree I don't want you to eat. Because see, Adam, I love you. And I don't want you to die. So don't eat from the tree in the middle. It will kill you. Now, what's interesting is that God calls it the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and that's really important for you and for me because we need to remember that the one who makes the tree of knowledge of good and evil is the one who knows the knowledge of good and evil. And the one who didn't make the tree of knowledge of good and evil is the one who doesn't know the difference between good and evil. All Adam knows is one thing. You're free. It'll kill you. That's all he knows. You're free, whatever you want, except for the one that will kill you. Now, by the time you get to the very next chapter, and just a few verses later, we see this. It shows up in Genesis chapter 3. When the woman who was with the man, he was with her the whole time this situation happens around this tree. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, stop. When she saw that it was good, did anyone tell her it was good? As a matter of fact, no. This is the first time the word good shows up in the Bible when God did not say it. Every other time in the earlier chapters, it says God created light and he said it was good. God created the the plants and the animals. He said it was good. God created human beings. He said it was good. God did all these things. He said it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he said, now hang on a second, there's a tree that's, that's the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that tree. It will kill you. And now this woman sees that the tree is good. See, the big problem with all of humans, you, me, every one of us, the big problem is that we don't have a clue what good is, but we think we know. We're not the ones who made the difference between good and evil. We're not the ones who made good. We're not the ones who have the authority to evaluate good, but we think we do. And so we see all kinds of things around us and we say, that's not good. Or we see something else, we say, that's good. And we might totally be wrong. When the woman sees that it was good for food, even though it wasn't, it's going to kill her. 
and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it and they didn't die immediately. They died over a period of time. And we today still live in a world where we will only deal with things if they are immediate to us. We just don't care about anything if it's going to happen in a while. But she thought it was good. He thought it was good. God said, it'll kill you. It's just not going to happen immediately. Sometimes I wonder about the guy in that situation, you know, just watching the woman take the first bite, wondering to himself, huh, wonder how long it's going to take. One, two, three, not dead yet. All right, must be good. You know, and then he eats it too. It's just one of the, anyway, we'll move, we'll move along because see, here's the point. The point is that we are powerless, especially to know what's right. We are powerless when it comes to knowing the right thing. A lot of us think we know the right thing, but uh, we just don't. We all have biases. We all have misunderstandings. We all make mistakes. And that's one of the things, this is going to be a little controversial in church, but hey, I don't care anymore. And so uh, let me show you this. This is a picture of a scientist. This is one of the reasons why I think science is cool. Because science, you notice that she's looking at a uh, thing in a microscope, or she will be soon, and there's another person also in the same room doing similar research. This is one of the things I think is cool about science. Everybody is going to get something wrong. But luckily, we don't all get the same things wrong. And so if you put enough people together working on the same project with the same basic value system for looking for the truth, then eventually this person's mistake is going to be offset by this person's correctness, and this person's mistake is going to be offset by this person's correctness, and you get enough of us together, God just made it so that human beings work well when we work well together, cool things get known. It's amazing. All of our little stupid mistakes get just sort of smeared out and we get to actually learn some things. When human beings cooperate properly, we, we learn the right things. But it begins, it begins with us recognizing that no, I don't know the right things by myself. By myself, I'm always going to get something wrong and by myself, I'm never going to know which thing is the wrong thing that I believe. Um, if you're a parent, you know this. Um, here's the, let me show you this next picture. Here's the big question for all parenting, which is worse, over-parenting or under-parenting? No one knows the answer. Like, I mean, seriously, is it worse to let your kid play on a six-foot-tall monkey bars thing where they might fall off and break an arm, or is it worse to put your kid in bubble wrap and attach them to the ground all the time? You know, which one is worse for that child's development? I know all of you have opinions. And if I put something on Facebook saying what I did to my kid, I know 30, 50% of you might be like, well, I disagree with that. And here's the thing. We don't know. Scientists have worked on this stuff for a long time. And this is one of the areas that we still don't have a clue because here's the problem. When you mess up a child, they have a whole lifetime to get other things messing them up too. And so by the time they're 30 and they can talk about all the things that messed them up, we don't know how much that mess up came from you. So good on you, parents, because no one's ever going to know how bad you messed up your kids. But you're still going to try, I hope. Anyway, here's the point. We don't know the right thing. We never know the right thing. We will never know completely the right thing. 
powerless. But beyond that, we're also powerless to do the right thing. Ah, oh, this is gonna this is gonna gross you out. Um, go ahead and play it. My sister, this is an oyster. My sister has recently told me that she has fallen in love with oysters. She thinks they're amazing. She thinks they taste absolutely incredible. She has recently gotten on this train and um, tells me that she's, she's at that place where she now goes to oyster bars and tastes all the different kinds of oysters. And there's this one kind that she doesn't like and it's really nasty, but all these other kinds are really beautiful and sweet. And I, am, I cannot think about oysters without thinking about cup o' snot. It just... That's what, I've, that's what I've got in my head. That's what, that's what they look like. I'm just not... You can move past this video by now, Charlie. Thank you so much. But I'm just not going to... I know the right thing. Here's the right thing. I know the right thing when it comes to oysters. Everybody who tries them says they taste great. Some don't like the texture, but they all like the flavor. I like Alton Brown as my TV chef, and he says they're awesome. I like my sister as a human being. She says they're awesome. I know the truth. The truth is they're awesome. Have I tried one yet? Am I going to try one? Not soon. I tell you what. Um, here's the deal. Even if you know the right thing, we're powerless to do the right thing. Because I'm not going to eat the thing that I think looks gross, just like I'm not going to exercise as much as I should just as I'm not going to limit my caloric intake as much as I should. Just, I can't even keep my own standards, let alone God's. And I know you're with me. The Apostle Paul is with me. In Romans 7, he says this, check it out. He says, for I know the good, I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. That's a translation of the Greek word for flesh, which basically means just all of his body is filled with this desire to do the wrong things. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Keep going. He says, now if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Here's the point. Paul says there's a thing, a principle in this world called sin. And because that sin is in us somehow, because Adam and Eve did the first one and because it's passed down through with humanity till me today, because sin is in me somehow, I am powerless to know and to do the right thing. Listen, if you still by this point think that you still got it, you know, that you can still handle it, then that's, that's fine for you to think that. But I'm just telling you, I've come to the place where I realize by myself, I will never know the right thing completely and I will never be able to do the right thing completely. But there's some good news. Because even though I'm powerless, the good news is that God has the power. God has the power, all the power that I need. When I think of the power of God, the first thought that comes to my mind is the beauty of creation. I, I frequently, every single day, I spend a few minutes trying to find new wallpapers of nebula in outer space, or, or I just love the way the earth looks in certain 
conditions and the, the biodiversity on this planet is just absolutely stunning to me. And I think the God who made all of this stuff is just unbelievably wise, creative, and powerful. It's just so beautiful in so many ways. And so when I think of the power of God, I definitely think of all of this. But truth be told, all of this pales in comparison to another power that God has. In 2 Corinthians, it says this, By His power, God raised the Lord from the dead. 1 Corinthians 6, 14. By His power, God raised the Lord from the dead. He raised Jesus from the dead. Now, it's one thing for God to make something cool that I can see. It's another thing for God to make a rule that always works in a beautiful way. It's another thing for God to step in and break that rule for one moment and say, no, all of my creative power, all of my creative energy is now going to be focused on this one person right here who was killed on a cross but I'm bringing them back. And so we're going we're gonna to stop the processes of the natural order for just a moment. And we're going to bring the creative processes back to bear. And we're going to raise Jesus back to life. God has the power to do that. He's done it with Jesus. And I, I know a lot of people are like, well, wait a minute, you're just, you're, just, you're just buying into a legend. You're just buying into some story of a guy who may or may not have lived and some legend about him coming back to life. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'll, I'll tell you that the history is absolutely abundantly clear. There was a guy named Peter who was killed in Rome because he believed his friend Jesus was killed on a cross, and then three days later came and had a meal with him. There's a guy named Andrew who was killed because he believed his friend Jesus was killed on a cross, and then three days later came back to life and had a meal with him. There's a guy named Thomas, and a guy named John, and a guy named James. And there are these guys who have historically lived and written things down to prove it to us, that they said, listen, Jesus was my buddy. I watched him die. I watched him get buried. And I saw him three days later, and we had a meal together. Listen, it's not just that I believe in the resurrection. It's that there's a huge bunch of people who actually saw Jesus and were so convinced that something amazing had happened that they lost their lives. Because see, here's the truth. You won't lose your life for a lie that you know you're telling. You will lose your life if the thing you're convinced of is that there's resurrection. If I'm convinced that there is such a thing as resurrection, it's a whole lot easier to let this version of this life pass away. But beyond the fact that God has the power to raise Jesus from the dead, look at the end of this verse from 1 Corinthians 6.14. It says, By His power God raised the Lord from the dead, and He will raise us 
also. Here's the point. I am powerless, but God has all the power that is necessary. The power of creation, the power of stepping into this world and making things different, and He can bring that power to bear in my life. It's not just that God has the power, it's that God gives the power. And I want to be one of those people who receives it. God gives this power. But who? Who gets it? Who gets God's power? Let me show you Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. We'll put it up there. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for whom? For us who believe. Keep going. It says that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Paul, this guy who experienced God's power up front and personal, says this. He says, God raised Jesus from the dead and God will take that power and put it into your life. And the thing that connects your life to that power is that you just believe he's got it and is going to give it to you. For us who believe. God, I believe you raised Jesus from the dead and I believe you're making that power available to me. That's it. That's the requirement. I'll go one step further. Peter, that guy that I mentioned before who actually saw and ate uh, dinner with Jesus, he says this in the book that we, we call Acts. Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Peter says, listen, here's the deal. God is making his power through his spirit available to every single one of you. God's power through his spirit is available to every single one of us. We step into it through the process of repentance and baptism. Repentance is the inner attitude of the heart that says, God, I'm no longer going to do things my way. I'm going to do things your way. Repentance is the I'm unplugging from me. I'm unplugging from all of the false power that I thought I had. I'm unplugging from all of the stuff that I thought was so important. I'm just going to unplug from all those things. And God, I'm going to plug myself into you. I'm going to plug my life into you. And I'm going to say, you are going to be from this point forward the source of all of my strength, the source of all of my power, the source of my guidance. I'm going to unplug from me. I'm going to plug in from you, plug into you. And baptism is the, visible, the visible symbol of that. If you've never been baptized before, then I would encourage you to talk to me about it. Let's get it done because this is the visible symbol of you saying, God, I'm plugging away from all that other stuff and I'm plugging into you. It's a visible symbol of death and resurrection. There's no greater unplug than death. And baptism is this picture of a person being buried in water and then being lifted up in a brand new life just like Jesus was buried in a tomb and came out to a new life. This is the picture of death and resurrection. This is the picture of unplugging and plugging back in. God makes his power available to everyone who joins him that way. I'll use this phrase for it. To those who respond to him with a trusting surrender. God gives his power to all those who would respond to him with a trusting surrender. Surrender you can do 
expecting the worst. You know, you're, you're a prisoner, you've been fighting, and finally you just give in. That's surrender, but that's not trust. And you can trust someone partially, but not actually surrender to them. But God is so powerful and so good that we can do both. Listen, the idea of surrender is kind of an important concept because when you really understand that you are powerless, surrender should come naturally. Just to recognize that God has all the power, and so as a result, I should just surrender to Him. But on top of that, when you realize that God leverages His power to raise Jesus from the dead and to promise that same resurrection to you and to me, that means God is leveraging all of His creative power to do something in and for you. That's a person you can trust. That's a person you should trust. And so it's not a a surrender of, oh, I can't do anything. It's a surrender of, oh my goodness, yeah, I would much rather let the pilot fly the plane. And I would much rather ride safely in peace, letting him be in charge. So that leads us to this almost last blank. I want to encourage you, let God do his work. Let him do his work. The biggest principle when it comes to us restarting our lives has to come down to this. I think a lot of us for the past 18 months have sort of been struggling with or feeling a struggle or or even fighting consciously against the power of God at work in our lives. Let's just take the virus for example. The virus showed up. It's not your fault. It's not my fault. Sure, there might be someone whose fault it is, but that doesn't matter because wherever it started, however it started, whether it was the guy who ate the bat in the in the in the in the marketplace or something else. It doesn't matter how it started. You know what I'm saying? What matters is there's a God in charge of the universe. And at some point he said, okay, to a virus that would spread. And at some point we have to say, so that's where we are now. That's where my God has placed me. That's the life I'm supposed to be living in. What does it mean for me to surrender to God's will in this moment, in this circumstance? We have a particular social circumstance here in the United States. You didn't choose to be born here. You didn't choose to live here. Maybe you did, but maybe some of you didn't. But you didn't choose to have all of the circumstances of the United States exist right now at this time where you are. But guess what? There is a God who's in charge of the universe who said okay to the current circumstances. And my job is to say, okay, God, what do you want me to do and to be in the midst of it? How do you want me to respond to this? I don't need to control the circumstances. I need to live with God in them. And so I need to let God do his work. There are three things that I'd encourage you to do. Number one, first is admit. Let's just admit that we're powerless. Let's let that be the beginning. I'm powerless about a lot of things. Whether I'm a Christian or not, I still need to admit, as a human being, I am powerless to know the right thing. I am powerless to do the right thing. And I am powerless to be the right person in this world all the time. I might get it right sometimes, but I'm powerless all the time. Number two, I'm just going to accept God's offer. 
God's offer of power. He says, I'll give you my spirit. I'll give you my power. I'll give you the promise of resurrection. I just need to accept it. I need to admit that I'm powerless, whether it's because of my own failings or because of the sin living in me. It's just powerlessness. And I need to accept God's offer of cleansing me of sin, forgiving me from all the stuff that I've done already, and giving me the promise of resurrection in the future and giving me the presence of His Spirit right now. I need to accept it. And then number three, I need to allow Him. And you say, well, allow Him to do what? Exactly. Allow Him to do what? Ever. Allow God. Uh, Give God the room to be God. And say, God, okay, I'm not going to fight you about this stuff. I'm not going to try to wage war against this world around me. Instead, I'm going to be the person in the midst of this world that you want me to be. And I'm just going to try to follow you that way. So teach me, lead me, guide me. I'm going to allow you. Listen, I can't tell you. There is so much joy and peace and rest in letting God be God and recognizing that we're not. There is so much comfort and so much satisfaction in just saying, God, I'm going to let you be you and not me try to be you. Let the pilot fly the plane. Jesus says this in one of the most famous lines in Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We all love the rest. You know, you'll find rest for your souls, but do you know what a yoke is? A yoke is that thing that an ox sticks its head through so that the guy standing behind the ox can control it. So the guy standing behind the ox can make the ox turn when he wants it to turn and can make it go when he wants it to go and make it stop when he wants it to stop. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. He's not saying, now what I want you to do is I want you to pretend you're one of my followers and just relax. No, he says, you're going to do what I tell you to do. And then on the other side of it, you will find that it was peaceful and rest. A lot of us need to get to that place where we're just going to let God be God. And when you want to restart your life, when you want to get your life started on the right foot, it begins with this. I'm going to unplug from all of the me, and I'm going to plug into all of the him, and I'm going to let him do his work in the world around me and in and through me. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And his plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.